Well, choir and uh, orchestra, guys, I see why y'all had church back there. No wonder. Man, that was, uh, that was incredible. Praise the Lord for that. Thank you for leading us. I can't imagine how many hours and time it takes in preparation to do all that you guys do, and we, we appreciate you very, very much. Hey, I forgot to um, welcome our guests. By the way, if you're a guest today, we're thrilled that you are here. God bless you. Thank you for uh, braving the elements and coming out in the uh, worship guide. There's a little... Uh, insert there. It says, we want to get to know you. If you take just a moment and fill out that information, and uh, if you would, bring it to the, me and my wife at the end of the service, or my wife and I, I should say, and uh, we would gladly receive that and give you uh, a gift in exchange for your registration. But we're thrilled that you're here today. What a fun day. What a sweet day, and a great weekend to um, commemorate and celebrate uh, all the good in our lives and in our country, and we praise God, as I said earlier, for those who have uh, paved the way and uh, paid the ultimate price for our freedom. Speaking of that, 1945, uh, Pastor Adrian Rogers was just a teenager. He w went on to be with the Lord just a few years ago, but before that he served for many years in Florida and also at the great church there in the Bellevue Baptist Church uh, right outside Memphis, Tennessee. But he tells the true story how in 1945 he was living in West Palm Beach, Florida as a teenager. And word broke out, and remember this is before television, but the news had come out that the Allied forces had become victorious uh, over Germany. And there was a lot of celebration, a lot of excitement, but yet, uh, in his words, the Japanese were relentless. They were inexorable, and they had yet to surrender. And so on that fateful day of August the 6th, 1945, the United States dropped the bomb, the atomic bomb on Hiroshima. But the Japanese continued to fight relentlessly. And three days later, on Nagasaki, they dropped the next atomic bomb. And then just a few days later, on September the 1st, 1945, was the day. It was the day of unequivocal, complete surrender. And we and our allied forces had won the victory in World War II. And Adrian Rogers talks about how people were just in a sense of euphoria. He said, I remember getting in the car and driving downtown to West Palm Beach, Florida, my mom and my dad, and, and he said it was just this huge celebration. The newsboys were coming out with their papers and saying, you know, victory, VJ Day, VJ Day. Does anybody know what that means, VJ Day? Victory over Japan, victory over Japan. And people were just, they were dancing in the streets, they were singing, they were celebrating it. And Adrian Rogers says the young men loved it because they were kissing all the girls. I mean, it was just, man, we were just celebrating. And then like only he can do, he said, you know, there's coming another VJ day. And he said, this VJ day will make this great day pale into comparison. And he says, this is called the victory in Jesus day. When Jesus Christ comes again and makes all the wrongs right and just improves and brings his glorious kingdom. And he says, and that will be a day of great celebration. Today I'm going to read to you Revelation chapter 15. We're going to read the entire text. It's chapter 15 verses 1 through 8. And this is a powerful passage of scripture. It has to do with the praise of God. And it also deals with the preparation for future judgment. Chapter 15 it will give you great hope, it will give you great encouragement, but it also gives a very somber, sobering warning because this is the prelude to the seven 
bold judgment of the angels that comes in chapter 16. Now, after chapter 16, there'll be chapters 17 and 18 that do not follow chronologically because it deals more with the fall of Babylon. So the next great event after chapter 15 will be the seven bold judgments and then the coming of Christ in chapter 19, that great VJ day, victory in Jesus day. So child of God, as I read this text to you today, I hope that you are encouraged. I hope that you are reminded of something that we all need to be reminded of, especially in these difficult days in which we live, that there is victory in Jesus, there's hope in Jesus, there's going to come a day when Almighty God reigns supremely, completely, inexorably, and it will be a kingdom of peace and joy and love. It will be a consummation of the ages when the Almighty God reigns upon planet earth. What a day that will be. So let me read Revelation 15. It says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues. The word last there is eschatos. It's where we get our Greek word uh, eschaton and eschatology, which is the study of the last days. And John says this is it. There's been the seven trumpets. There's been the seven uh, there's been the seven seals, and now you have the seven bold judgments. And for in them, the wrath of God is teleos. It's the word Jesus used on the cross when he said, it is finished, it is consummated, it is complete. And then verse 2 says, and John said, I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. Can you wrap your mind around that for just a moment? A turquoise blue sea emblazoned with gold. It was a, like a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who have the Nikayo, the Nike, the victory, the conquering ability over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, and they were standing on the sea of glass having harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. And here is their song. This is an excerpt, if you will, of this great song of Moses, the song of the Lamb, Revelation 15, 3 and 4. Again, we're talking about the praise of God. Here it is. Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, and for all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been manifested. And John says, and after these things... I looked and behold, and verse 5 is just phenomenal. Watch this. Now, before I read this, let, let me just say these words. John often presupposes that you and I have a thorough understanding of the Old Testament. And if you don't have a thoroughgoing understanding of the Old Testament, it, it can be a little confusing, but um, I know you're familiar with the tabernacle, with the testimony, and with the temple. And so if, if you're not as familiar with it, we'll talk about it in a moment. But look what John saw. He saw the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven, and it was opened. And out of the temple came the seven angels having the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, and having their chests girded with golden bands. Then one of the four living creatures, he comes on the scene. Now it's interesting, we haven't seen these guys in many, many chapters. There's four of them, the special college of angels. And they're always associated, it seems, in Revelation with two things, with worship and with war. And so one of those four ominous creatures, one of these beings, 
Verse 7 says, One of these living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And verse 8, can't wait to talk about verse 8 in a few minutes. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power. And no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So Revelation chapter 15 is our text. One writer calls it the celestial interlude. It is in between the, uh, you know, the judgments that we've been reading about, and before chapter 16 comes the, the last series, successive waves of judgments from God. You have this interlude, this celestial interlude, this, this pause, if you will, in the midst of, and I was thinking about just, just this morning after studying many hours and reading many, many commentaries and many people's ideas, and, and, and every week I create just like a mini research paper to, to bring to you and to share this message. And I was thinking just this morning as I was praying and going over this sermon, there is calm and repose and blessing and tranquility and worship in heaven even though there is chaos and crime and catastrophe and many calamities here on earth. And that's just a beautiful picture of how God is sovereign. God is often, listen, God never, He, he never gets rattled. He never gets nervous. He never wrings his, his hands and He wipes His brow. He never goes, oh goodness, things are just out of control down there. No, there's absolute unequivocal peace and tranquility and joy and worship in heaven even though there's chaos here on earth. I don't know about you, but that gives me great hope to know that no matter how bad things are here on earth, all is well in heaven above. That God is in control. He is sovereign. Can I brag on him for just a moment? He is the reigning monarch. He is the heavenly despot, if you will. He is the almighty God who is in control. And heaven erupts in just this successive bands of, even though it's coming plagues and difficulty on earth, that's not the scene in heaven. What you have is, is worship after praise, after hosannas, after adulation and glory to God. And so, first of all, I want to talk about that. I, I want to talk about, if you're taking notes there, number one is called the praise of God. And I want to walk with you through the first few verses of this amazing chapter as we study the apocalypse, as we study the book of Revelation. The praise of God. Verse 1, John says, I saw another sign in heaven. It was great and thaumastos. This is an interesting word. It was great and marvelous, and the word also has the connotation of absolute sheer astonishment. There's only one other time in the entire New Testament where these two words are paired this way, great and marvelous. It's in verse 1 and again in verse 3. John says, let me tell you something, guys. I'm seeing something absolutely amazing in the heavenlies, something that I have not seen before because the, the temple is open and there are these seven angels and they're about to come and, and bring judgment on earth. But before that, he sees in heaven this celebration, this eruption of applause and glory to God. The word plagues here in, in verse 1, it has to do with the idea of, of a wound or heavy affliction. And so he says, I saw this great sign in heaven, great and marvelous seven angels having the seven last plegi. Sounds a lot like our English word plagues. And it means to inflict pain and to wound. For in them 
the wrath of God is teleos. It will be complete. And then I love verse 2 where it says, John says, I saw something like the sea of glass mingled with fire. It reminds us of Revelation chapter 4 verse 6 where John sees a sea of of glass. One writer puts it this way. He says, the sea of glass is a sign. It is an emblem of the splendor and the majesty of God on His throne. Listen to this. The splendor and the majesty of God on His throne, which is separated. It separates Him from all of His creation. A separation stemming, mm, listen to this. This separation stems from His purity and His absolute holiness, which He shares with nobody else. And so John is just caught up in this heavenly eruption of joy and celebration and anticipation of the great VJ day when Jesus Christ comes again. And they are just, they're just having this holy worship service in heaven, though contrast that. I mean, diametrically opposed to that is all this chaos here on earth. John describes those who lead out in this time of worship. He says, and I saw those who had the Nikeo, the victory over the beast, the Antichrist, remember that? Over his image. Remember the false prophet made everybody worship the image of the Antichrist. And if you did not, then you would be executed. And they, they had victory over his image, victory over his mark. Remember that? Mark on the forehead, mark on the, on the right wrist, and over the number of his name, the 666, they have victory over all that. And they stand, mm, look at this. They stand on the sea of glass, and they have harps of God. Now remember, harps in the Bible oftentimes is associated with, with praise. And in this situation, we, we see it. There it is. There's a praise, and it also has to do with prophecy. So praise and prophecy are culminating. And these tribulation martyrs, these very men and women who overcame the beast... They were executed, they were slain. Remember that? Revelation 6, the souls of those martyred for their faith under the altar were now, they're standing in the presence of God. They have these harps standing on this turquoise sea emblazoned with gold. And John's going, maybe, maybe John would tell us, guys, I'm telling you, I'm just trying to describe it the best way I know how. I mean, words fail me because God in His splendor and in His majesty, and there are those who were persecuted on earth but now they are positioned in places of praise in heaven. That's just like God. I've called this in my notes here the great reversal. God reverses their plight and their difficulty, and He puts them in positions of prominence and esteem. Salikard, Russia is a fascinating city. It's the only city in the world that part of its district encompasses the Arctic Circle. Now, do you think Salikard, Russia is very hot or very cold. You would guess it is incredibly, extremely cold because it's in the Arctic Circle. About 10 years ago, in Salikard, Russia, a group of evangelical believers built a church in this city, and they had to go 40 feet in the permafrost, penetrating the earth's crust, the surface, in order to establish the pillars for this evangelical church in Salikard, Russia. And a friend of mine in his 90s, Doyce Rosser, helped, uh, he sold his car business dealership for $30 million. And he said, I'm going to use this money and plant churches all over the world. And that's what he's done. He's well in his 90s and he's going strong, planting churches all over the world. 
And so Deutsch tells this story of how these evangelical believers built this church. You say, well, so what? Churches are being built everywhere. This was the very place where Joseph Stalin had his gulag office. And how many Christians had passed through those portals on their way to Siberian labor camps never to be heard again, never to be seen again. And in that very spot where Joseph Stalin would execute, by the way, you know, he executed like 20 million. You think Hitler was bad. This guy was really bad. 20 million of his own people, many of them followers of Jesus Christ. And now an evangelical church is put right on the spot where he executed all those believers. Let me tell you something. If you're down and you're discouraged and you're hurt and you're crying out for justice, oh God, where are you? Listen, God sees, God knows, and there's coming a great reversal. A reversal of your sin and sadness and your plight and your, and your depression and your anger and your hurt and your cries for justice. There's coming a great reversal when even though everything is chaotic on earth, everything is glorious in heaven above. So these tribulation martyrs, I love them. I love their story. It says they, they break out in praise and worship to God, these tribulation martyrs. Now, in verse uh, 3 and 4, you see the song. Now, is it an excerpt of a longer song? Probably. But John says it's the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. In verse 3, it says, they sing the song of Moses, the... Now, this just fascinated me, church. i got, I got to be honest with you. It did not say the great emancipator Moses, the great lawgiver Moses, the great friend of God Moses who led his people out of Egypt. No, it just says the servant of God. And it's the Greek word, thank you for asking me, I'm so glad you asked me, what, the, what is the Greek word? It's the word doulos. It's not just any kind of servant, it is the most menial, lowly servant. Mm, let me tell you something, when you get to heaven, friends, there's only one almighty God, and we're just all servants of the Most High God. And Moses is pictured this way, he was a servant of God. Ooh, look at this. The first song in the Bible was Exodus 15. The last song is Revelation 15. The first song had to do with the song of Moses, of deliverance of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. And the last song has to do with the great emancipation, the great salvation of the Lamb of God who in His royal train has taken all of those who believe out of the captivity and the bondage of sin and being enslaved to our lust and, and in our minds just deranged with sin. Jesus Christ lifts us out of that. And so here it is, the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb, and they're praising Him in heaven. Let me tell you something very important. Of all the great events in the Old Testament that were a sign and pointed to the cross of Jesus Christ, by far the greatest was the Exodus. Because in the Exodus, what you see is this beautiful depiction of the cross, how you have this emancipator Moses. And you remember the story, how he comes up on the precipice of the Red Sea, and you've got the Egyptian army breathing down his neck. And, and before him, all you see is the Red Sea, and the people are crying out, did you bring us out here to die? 
Isn't that just like God? I mean, he brings us on the precipice of we're thinking, oh, Lord, the, the enemy's behind me, and oh, Lord, I'm going to drown in front of me. Oh, God, where are you? One of my favorite stories in the Bible. And God says, Moses, stand still and see the salvation of our God. And shazam, the Lord God splits the Red Sea, and they walk through it, and they are emancipated. They are delivered. They are saved from, from the wrath of the Egyptians. And that's what you see in the cross. You see this beautiful picture of the love of God, the deliverance of God, the preeminence of the cross of Jesus Christ when we are enveloped with sin and we are, we are beyond ourselves and there's really no hope for our marriage. It's not going to make it. There's really no hope for our family and there's, there's, there's really no way we can come out of this bondage and this difficulty and this pain. And yet there is the cross and Jesus Christ makes a way. That's why they celebrate. That's why they are praising the Lord because of His deliverance, not only in the Song of Moses, but also in the Song of the Lamb. I want to notice three or four things about this song. If you want to jot these notes down, please feel free to first, first of all write the word exclamation. Number one is exclamation. They sang, great and marvelous are your works. One writer puts it this way. Just as God's works were great and wonderful in judging the Egyptians at the Red Sea, they also are and will be great and cause great astonishment in the punishing of the world through the seven last plagues. In this, in this word here, it says, you are the kyrios theos pantocrator. The word almighty, pantocrator, it means ruler of all. Uh, it's reminiscent of El Shaddai in Genesis 17, 1, the God who gives great blessings and favor to his people. A lot of rich theology here. I know I'm not doing it very good justice. I'm, I'm going through it quickly, but it's just so rich. So number one is exclamation. Number two is a declaration. Notice what he does. He declares that you are just and true in all of your ways, O King of the saints. God, what's about to happen is just. It is fair. It is equitable. The last wave of judgment about to come on planet earth, God, no one can accuse you of any wrongdoing. Because, God, you are just and pure in all of your ways. Let, let me give you an analogy. Then David Jeremiah, I believe, yeah, I read this from David Jeremiah. He said, let's, let's say for a moment that you're, you're a husband and your wife and your children are killed in a car accident by a drunken driver, okay? A drunken driver takes the life of your wife and of your children. And by the way, this is his seventh arrest for DWI, driving while intoxicated. And he appears before the, the, the court of law and the judge, and you're there, and you're a, uh, you're a, you're a widower, and you have, you have lost everything, and you're there in that court of law, and in comes this, this man who has been found guilty. He was found at the scene. It was surely him. He was completely intoxicated. And he's the one that took the life of your wife and of your children. And the judge comes in with a long flowing robe. And he says, you know what? It's okay. I forgive you. It's all right. And just go on out there and just live like nothing happened. How would you feel? How would you feel if you had lost everything and that judge jettisoned justice and law, and righteousness. It's interesting. We, 
we look at an example like that and we say, well, surely, that, surely the judge will do what is right. Let me tell you something. God's going to do what's right. You, you're not going to have to say, but, but, but God, what, what about? You, you listen, he is just and true in all of his ways. And no one can accuse him of being dishonest or unjust. And so that is the declaration, just and true are your ways. Number three is a question. The question is a rhetorical one. John says he heard them singing the song, and it asks, Who shall not fear you, Phobos, revere you, respect you, honor you, O Lord, and glorify your name? Well, the answer to that rhetorical question is no one. In fact, there is coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Did you know that? Every Muslim, every Hindu, every Buddhist, every Mormon, every Jehovah Witness, every single person whether in heaven above or hell below, will have to say, you know what? Jesus Christ is the eternal God, the Son of God, and they'll have to give Him glory and give Him worship and praise just because of who He is. You say, well, I don't believe that. Well, Philippians chapter 2, 10 and 11 says, every knee bows and every tongue confesses that He is Lord. And in this proclamation, I want you to notice finally, it says, for all the nations shall come and worship before you. There it is. For your judgments have been phenerao. It's not the word apocalypsis where we might think the unveiling, the revealing. But listen to this. This word manifested, phenerao, has a forensic legal connotation to it. And so this final word of proclamation is God is just. God is righteous. God is holy. Oh, listen, friend, He is a God of mercy and compassion, and He is a God of love and redemption. And yet, when before He lets out these seven angels of wrath, it's like God has said, I have given you time and time. I've given you opportunity after opportunity. And just like the righteous judge in the forensic court of law of man would sentence that man who is killed and, and, and and he is murdered through his vehicle, and he will be sent to prison for the rest of his life. That's what's right. God will do what is right. Don't wring your hands. Don't wipe your brow. Don't say, but, but it's just this, and God's just got it. Listen, God's got it under control. Remember, chaos on earth, and God is completely at peace with himself. He is completely sovereign. He is absolutely in control. Listen to this, this com comment. The song of Moses was sung, oh, by the way, I wish I could write stuff like this. It's just phenomenal. The song of Moses was sung at the Red Sea. The song of the Lamb is sung at the Crystal Sea. The song of Moses was a song of triumph over Egypt, but the song of the Lamb is a song of triumph over Babylon. The song of Moses told how God brought his people out. The song of the Lamb tells how God brings his people in. The song of Moses was the first song in Scripture. The song of the Lamb is the last. The song of Moses commemorated the execution of the foe, the expectation of the saints, and the exaltation of the Lord. And the song of the Lamb deals with the same three themes. John Phillips, powerful commentary. So that, number one, is the praise of the saints in heaven. Now, let me, let me quickly wrap this up and go to the preparation for judgment, because that's the remainder of our text. Verse 5, John says, I looked, and behold, I'm going to see something I have not seen previously. He sees heaven open. The heavenly temple is open. And by the way, in, in verse 5, 
he says he sees the temple, the tabernacle, and the testimony. I don't think he's trying to be alliterative, but it sure is good. I like this. The temple, the tabernacle, and the testimony. So let's do a little Old Testament narrative for just a moment. You remember as Moses receives the construction for the tabernacle in the, uh, in the wilderness, and they create this tabernacle, which is a model for the temple, which you see the real thing now in heaven. What you have, what, what the most important part of that temple and tabernacle was something called the Holy of Holies. And within the Holy of Holies, on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the high priest and only the high priest would go into that holiest place where you have the testimony. You have the Ark of the Covenant, and within the Ark of the Covenant, you have the Ten Commandments, the, the jar of manna, and Aaron's rod. By the way, don't see any of that. All you see is the testimony. You see the Ten Commandments, and in the Holy of Holies, you see this, you see this temple and tabernacle, and John's going, this is, this is amazing. I, I'm, I'm just telling you what I'm seeing. And he says, and in the midst of that, it is all open. It is all open. And by the way, in the Old Testament, it's always closed. And the only time it opens up is for that high priest to go in. And can I just say, thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Because he died on the cross, heaven's gates are open wide. Because he shed his blood, the high priest himself, after the order of Melchizedek, the only true high priest could have ever done it. Jesus Christ lays down his life. We don't have to slay any goats and and, and, and lambs and, and other animals, we don't, we, don't have that, we don't need that expiation, propitiation from the blood of those goats and animals. Praise God, Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who was slain, and He shed His blood, and now heaven's open wide, and John sees the temple and the tabernacle and the testimony, and it's wide open because of the Son of God who laid down His life so that you and I could be redeemed. Now, John is assuming... John is assuming that we, we understand this. We, we put all this together because that's why, that's why it's so important to know our Old Testaments because it just culminates, consummates beautifully in the redemption of, of Christ. And then in verse 6, he said, Out of the temple, here they come. My, my, my. Seven angels, seven plegi, clothed in pure bright linen, having their chests girded with golden bands. Can you, can you picture that in your mind's eye for just a moment? Pure bright linen, perhaps symbolic representative of the purity and the pristine holiness of God. And then you see this chest girded with a golden band. And then as I talked about verse 7, there he is. There's one of those four living creatures. He gives to the seven angels seven bowls, censers, if you will, full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever, and it's about to be poured out on those who continue to worship the Antichrist, those who continue to profane the name of God, those who, the, the very name of Jesus disgusts them. They despise that name above every name, and that day is coming. You think it's bad now? Wait to the great tribulation where they know who the one true God is. And instead of bending their knees and worshiping Him, they rise up in defiance and say, okay, God, give me your best shot. You think you're the creator? You think you're so awesome? Then show me just how great and awesome you are. And God says, I am. And here they come. And these seven angels, and we're going to talk about it. And in a few weeks, we're going to talk about chapter 16 when those angels come down and execute the wrath of God. Verse 7, it says that He is the God who lives forever 
and ever. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you for being that God. And let me, let me wrap up in verse 8 because uh, I've got a lot more notes, but I don't have a whole lot of time. So if you're interested in the, in the <laughs> last week, it was so funny. A lady came up to me, and she goes, she had the whole manuscript. She says, you didn't follow this. <laughs> I was like, she says, like the Holy Spirit got a hold of you, and you just didn't follow your notes at all. She, she was showing me my notes, and I was like, you're right, I, I didn't. I didn't follow all that, and she was cool with it. She was laughing. I was laughing. I just love it when God gets in the midst of a sermon, don't you? Amen. All right, so verse 8, here it comes. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and His power. Now, there's two other times, again, in the Old Testament where we see this happen. The first one is Exodus 33, 9, in the tabernacle, the pillar of fire permeated over the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, and the place was filled with smoke. Then come on over in Kings and in Chronicles. 2 Chronicles 5.13, the Ark of the Covenant was placed in Solomon's temple. And, and the Bible says that when, when the Ark was placed in the temple, that, man, the trumpeters, they were sounding the trumpet, and the Levites were singing praise, and, and the ministers, the priests, they were overcome, overwhelmed by the presence of Jehovah, Almighty God, His Shekinah glory, like a smoke filling up the tabernacle, filling up the temple. And it says they could not sing nor preach or minister because it was so palpable. The presence, the power of God was so thick like a cloud that all they could do was worship. And here it is, verse 14. So the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Well, doesn't that just make y'all want to yearn for that? Doesn't that make you yearn for, oh, a, a day like that when the... You, you say, well, I don't understand this Shekinah glory cloud. And, and one writer described it this way, and it helped me. Like the, like the robe of a king was the cloud, this glory cloud. It's not God, but it's like... And just like that robe of the king, it's not the king, but it's associated with the king. And it has that connotation of his presence and his dignity and his royalty and his power the same way... You have God, His presence in the temple, and just this cloud engulfs and envelops everybody so that they cannot continue. They just, I just long for that. And I look forward to that day, if not here on earth, then glory to God one day in heaven. I believe it was David Jeremiah who said these words. He said, when he preached on this text in his church there in San Diego, by the way, I don't know how y'all prepare for sermons, but here's how I prepare for sermons. I listen to a lot of sermons, and I take a lot of notes, and it takes me a long time. And then uh, one person said, yeah, make sure you swallow the meat and spit out the bones. So now not everything goes in the sermon. I said, okay. So I tell you, it's hard. Some of the people that I'm reading and listening to their sermons, it, it's, it's hard for me not to preach two hours because I just get so full and get so excited about what God is teaching me. So David Jeremiah says, just think about this. We could be seven years from Revelation chapter 16. If Jesus comes and takes his church, then it begins this, this period known as this tribulation. And David Jeremiah says, does that, does that not capture your mind and your heart to think that we could be, those seven years away, the great tribulation could come like any moment? Which leads me to say this. Understanding eschatology and understanding the eminence of Christ, His return, it gives me a great love for God and His Word, but also gives me a greater love 
and compassion for people who don't know God. And I understand what David Jeremiah is saying. If the rapture were to come now, then this Revelation 16, is, it's honest. Those seven years are, are on the people who are still here. I don't want to be here when that time comes, and I'm hoping and praying that this premillennial rapture thing is right. I'm really hoping it's right, and we'll be out of here. But what about the people who are still here? The people like Ali from Iran. A couple weeks ago, Ashley and I, we, we flew up to Dallas-Fort Worth to watch a, a movie, a pre-screening of a new movie that's coming out in October, and it's called Woodlawn. And by the way, it is absolutely phenomenal. It's the best Christian movie I have ever seen. It's one of the best movies I've ever seen. $25 million budget. That was a big budget for Christian film. And they've made this amazing movie. The Michael Cat, all these guys have come together and, what's that big word? Collaborated. They've all collaborated and said, wow, let, let's, let's do the best we can. And, you know, Frodo from Lord of the Rings, he's in it. I can't carry the ring, Frodo, but I can carry you. That's just a great, that's just a great line. Well, there's, there's Frodo, Rudy. I love Rudy. He's in there. John Voight, uh, Angelina Jolene's dad, he's Bear Bryant in the movie, all right? If you're a Roll Tide fan, you're going to really like this movie. I like it anyhow, but uh, even though I'm Auburn. And so they fly us in, and uh, man, they paid for our tickets. Ashley and I paid our meals, put us up in the Gaylord Texan. I'm like, do you have the right person? What's going on here? They said, yes, we do. We just want your opinion. I said, well, I got one of them. I'll be happy to give you my opinion. <laughs> and I did, and I gave a, who am I? I'm no movie critic, but I, theologically, I was sharing some stuff, and, and they said, listen, Y'all think we're kidding. What y'all tell us, we're going to try to make this movie better because it's not closed yet. The script's still open. They're still filming. And I was like, wow, this is, this is crazy. So I'm all excited. You know, real quick Friday up, Saturday back. Ashley and I land in VFW, and they're supposed to pick us up in a limo. Now, I've never ridden a limo in my life. But they said, when you get off of the... Some of y'all look at me and say, you're making this up. <laughs> Ashley, am I? I'm dying if I'm lying. I'm telling you, it's the truth, all right? So they, I'm like, wow. And they, I said, well, how am I going to know? They said, they'll have a sign with your name on it. And I said, that would be a first for sure. Well, guess what? There was no limo. There was no sign. I was just looking around, and Ashley was going, oh, mercy. Where, how are we going to get? I said, I guess we're going to have to take a taxi. And in God's sovereignty, they forgot me, but God didn't. He brought a taxi driver, and he goes, do you need a ride? And he didn't have any markings on his car. And Ashley looked at me and said, are you sure? <laughs> I was like, he seemed friendly enough. And so, so we get in and close the doors, and I'm thinking, this is interesting. There's no, there's no this doesn't look anything like a taxi. It's a nice SUV, big black SUV. <laughs> I could hear my wife said, are you sure? And so we're, we're riding down the road, and he's Ollie from Iran. I said, I bet you speak. Farsi. He said, oh, Persian language. And the Holy Spirit said, if you're going to talk to him, you better talk fast because the gay Lord is real close. So I began to talk to him. And then I knew why. I knew why he was supposed to pick us up. And here's what I said. I know Ashley was praying for me. And I said, Ollie, how can I pray for you? And he gave me a... Uh, it was kind of a slap. Anybody ever slapped you verbally, you know, a little bit? He said, Phew. he kind of blew me off. He said, 
You just pray to whoever you want to pray to, to whatever you want. And you just pray for me at just however you want to pray. And he turned. And he was trying to give me the bill. And I said, let us pray. And I bowed my head. And I started praying. Because listen, if your name is Ali and you're from Iran, there's a 99.99% chance you're a Muslim and not a follower of Jesus. So I'm assuming that. So I started praying. And, I, and in my prayer, you know, preacher, have you ever prayed a prayer and preached the gospel? <laughs> it was a long prayer, and I'm just a praying. Thank you. I said, as a follower of you, Jesus, I'm praying for my friend Ali. Remember now, he's midway trying to give me the bill. That was an expensive bill, by the way. Forty bucks for five miles. What in the, anyhow, he's handing me this bill, and I'm praying in Jesus' name, and I'm praying for him. And here's what he said. I'll never forget what he said. He looked at me, and he goes, man, when you say you're going to pray for somebody, you really mean it, don't you? <laughs> yes. yes, I do. And so you say, well, why would you interrupt that taxi driver? Why would you do that? If this book is right, then Ali will not be in heaven. He will be left behind in this great tribulation. And so out of compassion and concern for him, I shared the gospel. In my prayer, albeit in a prayer, if that book is right. If that book's not right, let's just, let's just close it up and go home. But if that book is right, and it says that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father, then we have to preach it and we have to proclaim it. So, Father, we do love you. We come before you and ask for your grace and ask for your mercy and forgiveness. Father, all of us that are in this room today, in this church, God, we as those that know you, that love you, Lord, we, we want to serve you well. We want to be known like Moses. I was just a doulos of God. I was just a servant of God. And, Lord, we want to be faithful and, and bring as many people to glory as we possibly can. Because, Lord, if your word is true, and it is, then there is a host of people in this world so desperately in need of you. God, give us boldness. God, give us opportunities to share the good news of the gospel. Help us not to be intimidated or timid in any way. Lord, I thank you for Revelation 15, and I thank you for the privilege, God, of being able to preach your word in your church on this your day. Lord, I pray that you would move upon us in power. I ask you, Lord, to draw people to yourself. Friend, if you're here today and you've never confessed your faith in Christ, or you've never asked Him to forgive you of your sins, I want to encourage you to do that now. Do this in the day of grace. Do this and know Jesus as your friend before one day you'll know Him as your judge. So I'm praying for you that you'll confess with your mouth Jesus Christ is Lord, and you will believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, and you will be born again this very day. Would you do that even now? Others of you today, you're praying and you've been seeking the Lord for a place, a church that preaches the Word of God, that tries its best to go on mission and go to the world and reach the nations and reach the city. I know we're not a perfect church, mercy, but this is a church I'd recommend to you to consider coming and linking your life and saying, I want to be a part of what you guys are doing here at 10,500 Jollyville. Then you come. Father, we do just pray that you would bless this invitation as you draw people to yourself. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you've taught us today. And we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Won't you stand with me as we sing a song of praise to the Lord? I invite you to come and...
may want to come talk to one of these pastors, may just want to come to the altar, but we're going to open up the invitation to you even now as, as we sing.